Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Today we're going to launch something a little new. I usually develop a single theme in a broadcast and that's a good thing to do. But today I want to share with you what I'm calling Faith and Family News and Perspectives. And I'm going to give you segments on different topics. I'm not even going to try during our news and views perspectives broadcast to say all of these have to be the same. No, I've got gold mine of information that's uh, sitting in my computer and my file cabinets. And I just got to the point that, you know, I really need to start sharing this. I like to launch with talking about depression among teens and college students. Now, we did a whole series of broadcasts recently in Faith and Family, episodes 289, 291, suicide prevention and some of the depression that goes along with that and as part of a series on common Christian problems because Christians are people and people get depression. Christian people get depression, so that's not unusual. But there is a soaring amount of depression in our society, especially with young people. And between 2009 and 2017, the major depression amongst 20 to 21-year-olds doubled. That's just, that's not a good sign when you're having depressive struggles. I mean, major struggles, and then they, they double in such a short time period. Amongst the same time period with 16 to 17-year-olds, depression surged 69%. And let's see, in 2017, twice as many 22 to 23-year-olds attempted suicide compared to 2008. Uh, this is, this, these are, are not good signs. And I am not in this segment. Remember, this is just a mini segment. This isn't even a series. I'm going to share with you two ideas, just two, and it's not comprehensive. That's because news and perspectives don't try to do a, a comprehensive study. But I'm going to share with you what I think is a rather different way to approach this, something that I've never heard of, but I have thought of. I'll tell you why. Uh, two of my now young adult children graduated from Clemson University nearby. You might have heard they have a really good football team, and they also have some great engineering departments. They have uh, political science, uh, a really great man teaching over there. And one thing I know about Clemson that I discovered after we moved to South Carolina, it's a happy campus. And if so many young people are sad, depressed, lacking meaning in life, well, I'm just, again, this isn't a cure-all. But what about considering if you're flipping a coin between a college or a university, why not pick one in today's environment 
that's a happy campus. Now, I'm not saying everybody's got to go to Clemson, but you can go online and this changes. And actually, um, it was very hard in doing this because I had all these authoritative surveys that had different results. But uh, Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee, Auburn and Clemson were really high for secular universities for happiness. And one of the things that I'd say I I particularly know about Clemson and I would assume for Auburn, and I'm not sure about Vanderbilt, but it has a a large percentage of practicing Christians on campus. And for instance, at Clemson, the, the largest student body organization is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. There's Catholic ministry and evangelical ministry. And my guess is that environment helps make for a happy campus. And in in any case, why not pick a happy campus in today's world? I I think it makes sense. And why wait till your son or daughter come home from spring semester all depressed? And when you can increase their probabilities of finding happiness, and I'm not saying this is the only solution by any means, but I found it very interesting along with some of the top happiness uh, universities like Clemson, Vanderbilt, and Auburn, Thomas Aquinas College, California, University of Dallas in Texas. These are strong, orthodox, Catholic colleges and universities. And right along with them was Hillsdale College, which is I would say the majority of the student body is evangelical, but there's a a good number of Catholics there, and it's a very traditionally oriented type of atmosphere on campus. So Thomas Aquinas, University of Dallas, and Hillsdale all are happy colleges. Now, you might say, well, that sounds kind of flaky to me. Well, here's the flip side. There's also a website that has the top 20 least happy universities in the United States and Canada. And I just went here and looked at the top five least happy universities and colleges. Three of the five are Catholic universities. Three of the worst in all of North America for unhappiness are Catholic universities. I don't know too much about them, and I don't feel personally <laughs> wanting to uh, badmouth them on the air. But my guess is there's a lot of, quote, progressive, which means flaky Catholicism at those universities. And if Christ isn't in the center of your life, well, I think you could be robbed of a whole lot of joy you could otherwise have, particularly if you're living and learning and having recreation with peers who are also following Christ. So again, this is not a cure-all, but I do think it's rather stark that three of the five least happy colleges and universities in North America are college ones, probably liberal, and yet you have Hillsdale and two Orthodox Catholic colleges that are part of the top tier, so to speak, of happy universities. All right. My second recommendation, and this is a long time one. Um, This actually goes way back to the day as when I was a Protestant pastor 
uh, I did pastoral counseling. In case you're new to faith and family, I was an evangelical pastor before becoming a Catholic in 1990. But way back, for decades, um, in my pastorate days and since then, if you're suffering serious depression and you're a serious Christian, okay, and if you came to me like if I was a physician for your body instead of your soul and I'd have my little prescription pad for you, well, my prescription for your soul and for your mind is very simple. Three words. Read the Psalms. Why is that? Because in the book of Psalms, see, one of the things that really gets a Christian down like is, What's wrong with me? And by, by that, I don't mean what's wrong with me that I'm depressed, but thinking that I'm a Christian. Why am I depressed? I shouldn't be depressed as a Christian because everybody on religious TV is all happy and I'm not happy. I'm depressed. Well, that's why you go to the Psalms because nobody is happier than in the Psalms and nobody is more depressed than in the Psalms. Let me give you just a few of my favorites that, and I don't say just pick these out, but if you're having a hard time and you're listening to me right now, or if your son or your daughter is having a very hard time with depression, you want to write these down. And if you're driving, pull over in a parking lot. Don't make notes while you're driving. But Psalm 42 is a great place to start, starting in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? That's deep depression. And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember thee. See, he knows there's a lifeline, and it, this isn't despair. This is depression, okay? Day by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? It feels like God's departed. Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help, and my God. Here we go with a second recommendation. I'm just giving you two or three, maybe four, we'll see how it goes here, of recommendations of Psalms for those suffering depression. And remember, you never know. It might not be coincidence you're listening to me right now because someone before the end of this week Maybe someone in your family you might discover is having serious depression. That's why you want to make note of some of these psalms. Psalm 69 is a psalm of David, and David's the man after God's own heart. He had depression. Uh, David, one of the great men of the Old Testament, he was a prefiguring of Jesus Christ. He had depression. He says this, Psalm 69, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. Today we'd say, I feel like I'm losing it. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. 
I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. And then going on to a related Psalm 43, verse 45. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. And then Psalm 40. You can come out of depression, and you need to know that. People can't live, or it's very difficult to live, without hope. Psalm 40 is hope-filled. I waited patiently for the Lord. Not instant answers to prayer necessarily, but he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Okay, so those are a couple of recommendations to surround yourself with happy people, help your children find a happy campus. I think that's a practical step. And my prescription for depression, especially for Christians, serious Christians with serious depression, is read the Psalms. Okay, now I mentioned in news, views, and perspectives, um, we, we can switch subjects, and this is an entirely different subject, okay? We're talking about the amount of money spent by Protestant and Catholic congregations, parishes in the United States on youth ministry and family ministry. And it's rather interesting that in the United States, between four and six billion dollars is spent on youth ministry. Again, that's by both Protestants and Catholics together. Now, I'm not one for eliminating that because in my life, one of the most important things I ever did was youth ministry because you might say, well, Steve, how did you come interested in faith and, and family life? And, you know, did you always want to do this? No. Did you study this in college? Uh, not necessarily. But when I started doing youth ministry, whoa, I discovered a thing called parents' ministry. Like the Catholics are fond of saying, the parents are the primary educators of their children. And not only that, the parents are the ones that are passing on, at least initially, the faith to their children. Parents are the ones re responsible for the spiritual formation of their children. So I am not at all um, advocating taking from youth ministry. I see it as very valuable, but I do think uh, we need to take a little better insightful look at how we're spending our money. Because while four to six billion dollars is spent on youth ministry, 82 percent of Catholic parishes in the United States spend zero, zilch, nada, absolutely nothing 
on marriage ministry. And what I learned as a youth minister is that the key was keeping mom and dad together. And if that was working and you equipped them what to do in the home to help their kids, you would be a successful youth minister even if you weren't a youth minister, like I became a, a evangelical pastor and trying to do that. And I'm trying to do the same thing here in faith and family. And yet, when 82% of Catholic parishes don't spend a dime on marriage ministry, and you know, we're in a crisis. I've, I've uh, tried to raise the uh, <laughs> emergency flag. I've tried to dial 911 in this broadcast so many times in the last dozen years that we're having a collapse of faith with the younger generation, with teens and young adults. Uh, you talk to leaders of different apostolates. You talk to those uh, receiving prayer requests and Catholic media outlets, and those who are getting concerns with what's going on. It's all my children, my grandchildren are leaving the faith, and how do I get them back? Well, there's a, a fairly new book that came out entitled End Game, End Game, The Church's Strategic Move to Save Faith and Family in America. And very interesting, it's done by, it was done by an evangelical author, John Van Epp, and a Catholic author, uh, J.P. DeGantz. And what they found is that if the marriage collapses, Christian parents are divorced, the faith later collapses. And that, yes, there's this huge exodus, say over 60% of young people leaving the faith, yet they found that if their parents stayed married and attended church or mass every week, there was no difference between the younger generation and prior generations. In other words, the crisis which we're experiencing goes away with that one step. And to be very practical, uh, these two teamed up with Protestant and Catholic churches in Jacksonville, Florida, and offered programs that 60,000 people in Jacksonville, Florida attended. And, you know, to get that many people to come, you really try to do a good job. And that's what this book, The End Game, is about. And what they found is over, I, I don't know the exact length of time, but it wasn't that long, just a few year period. What happened? the divorce rate dropped 24% in Jacksonville, Florida. So I'm looking at this chart. Youth ministry spending four to six billion. The real youth ministers, mom and dad, and the real thing you need to do for the youth ministers is keep them married to marriage uh, programs. 82% of Catholic parishes don't spend a penny. And to me, this is a mistake this is a tragedy. This is a scandal, actually, because we have a Cadillac of marriage doctrine. I mean, marriage is a sacrament in the Catholic Church. So I'm thinking back. I mean, the the it was an independent evangelical church where I was ordained. And this congregation, I wouldn't call wealthy by any means. It was more middle class and even maybe lower middle class folks making the congregation, but they were alive in their faith. And it's very interesting, one of my co-pastors, full-time, 
a minister in this, again, this church did have fancy stained glass windows and all the all the accessories, but he was a full-time minister to young married couples and their families. That's what he did. He did some other things too, but that that was his his target ministry. And then they hired me, a full-time minister for the youth. Um, we moved into a new building, and again, they needed the money from the old building to sell to pay for the new building. I asked, and they gave me the old building for a county, it turned into a two-county-wide youth ministry. And in other words, they spent money, and then the thing started growing like gangbusters, and so they actually hired a second person to assist me in this expanding youth ministry, which turned out to be now my brother-in-law. And in other words, there were three of us full-time targeted to youth ministry and marriage and family relationship ministry, and everything grew. Everything grew. So I'm just saying, let's get our nickels and dimes put where they belong, and let's get get smart, okay? Now remember, we can go from one topic to another topic, and I collect a lot of information, a lot of statistics, as you probably know, and you might be surprised at this, but I get a lot of my divorce statistics from a divorce lawyer's website, believe it or not. And these guys are hardcore. They don't mess around. They don't try to fudge numbers, try to make things better or worse than they are. They're just very matter of fact. They are seeing divorce every working day of their lives. This is what they do. This is what their specialty is. This is what their law firm is, is for. And so it's helpful for me to want to head off problems to go to where the divorce lawyers are saying, this is what's causing people to come to us. And here's what they say. Social media has a strong negative effect on tons of modern marriages. Not everybody, but you hear about the negative effect of social media on youth, and it does have a negative effect, but here's what they say. Online affairs cause one-third of all divorces. Now, if you're a guy listening, listen. It seems that guys on business trips out of town lose their minds and do some really stupid, immoral things. And it's kind of like, you know, when you go on vacation, you buy junk you would never buy in your hometown. Well, that, it's just kind of like that when guys go on business trips. And so if you're a Christian man, you want to keep your bearings about you and you want to keep your family and you want to keep your wife, uh, you're, you're careful when you go out of town. Well, you should use the same amount of care and prudence when you go online and where you go online and what you do and who you talk with when you're online. Online affairs cause one-third of divorces. And again, this didn't come from Catholic.com. This came from DivorcedLawyers.com. It's not the exact web address. Okay, Facebook is the cause for 25% of couples to fight at least once every seven days. Let me get that again. 
Facebook is the cause for 25% of couples fighting at least once every seven days. What are you doing on Facebook? My suggestion is um, let your wife have the password for your computer. And anytime she wants to go on there and visit your Facebook and all that stuff, letter. And if your wife, your husband should have the same privilege too. Be open about it and don't be stupid. The social media problems are tripping up couples in untold millions just here in the United States. And here, lastly, social media activity of their partner has caused at least one in seven married couples to contemplate divorce. So, you really need to use your head. And maybe you've heard of different types of strategies and such like I have in my book, Legacy for Catholic Dads, uh, what I call the marriage busters and things you got to avoid. And, you know, you just don't start relationships with female colleagues and you got to be prudent when you go out of town and all this. Well, not only do you need to watch the porn sites which want to pop up everywhere, and that's a major problem. That's not my topic. It's what you think you can get away with in social media that you don't. It leads to problems, and you want to be prudent about that. I'm just going to mention this quickly. Actually, I'm not going to get into it, but I'll tell you where I got it, and the next time we do a News and Views, I'll bring it up. There is a magazine called Salvo magazine, S-A-L-V-O, and it comes out of the group that publishes Touchstone magazine, and Touchstone is a ecumenical group, and I know what you're going to think when I say ecumenical, but of solid evangelicals, serious Orthodox Christians, and serious Catholic Christians. These aren't flabby people, but they're taking the core of what they would identify from C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity and come up with ecumenical efforts. And they produce, in my estimation, the most engaging magazine, say, for a college student or a young post-college student, and they hit the tough topics Uh, Where do we come from? Why are we here? The sexual revolution, the trans revolution. How do you defend these different positions without losing your friends and that type of thing? Salvo magazine. And I'll end with that as a recommendation for a son or daughter in college or perhaps um, just out of college. And then once you subscribe, you can get online access to all their previous issues. So that's it for our Faith and Family News and Perspectives. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.